All right, what is up, everyone? It's good to be back. I know it has been quite a while. This is another Brown Snow podcast coming to you from Southern California, Dog Pound West. My name is Ryan Burns, and we're here to talk draft. I know it's been a while, and the reason it's been a while is twofold. Number one, life got awfully crazy in the fall season last year, and fortunately that coincided with some really depressing Cleveland Browns football, and so... That being the case and the losses piling up and everybody basically you know, devolving into uh, self-hatred and, and you know, fellow Browns fan loathing and all of that and arguing over whose fault everything was and when everyone was going to be fired again and exactly just how bad we are and why it will never, ever improve got a little tiresome. And so I skipped over that part. I hit the super simulation and decided I'd come back when I saw fit. And as it turns out, I see fit now. The draft approaches. We're just a few short days away from it. We're going to get together with Brendan Leister and Pete Smith on this episode of the Browns Note, and we'll talk about uh, you know the needs, the things uh, that we think are going to sort of drive this draft, some players that may or may not be of interest to us and to you, and we'll fawn way too much over one Patrick Mahomes. So I'll just get that out of the way. Um, all three of us, as it turns out, fell down in the Mahomes corner, which is not consistent. We haven't always picked the same quarterback, and frankly given that we are, in fact, Browns fans, we've had a number of opportunities to compare notes on potential top quarterbacks, none of whom we've ended up with. And so, once more into the breach, dear friends, we go. Uh, this is going to be an interesting one, as several in recent years have been, with so many picks, five of the top 65, and frankly, a loaded draft. Now, there are those that will tell you that the quarterback is the issue and that it's not quite loaded enough. I personally think this quarterback class is about as good as you could hope for. There may not be, as everyone has been awfully fast to accept, assume, and remind that Andrew Luck, quote-unquote, type sure thing at the top of the draft. But a couple of thoughts on that. Number one, I've seen about 40 of these now, and quite frankly, the the supposed sure things rarely are even that. Um, number two, there is no rookie quarterback that's going to come in and suddenly turn you into a, a winning franchise. For those that would point to a Dak Prescott, that is simply not what happened. That team was going to win one way or the other. Um, now, Dak came out and played really well, and that's what you want from your rookie quarterback. No question about it there. Uh, but it wasn't like that wasn't a team that wasn't built to win as long as the quarterback play was proficient. And I'm not here to tell you that they weren't getting a little better than proficient, but at the same time, uh, I think it's important to keep context when you're talking about what you actually expect even the best of rookie quarterbacks to do in terms of impact on your team from the outset. So that's that. You know, you look at this draft and there are some positions that are loaded. As it turns out, they coincide probably with some of the needs. I'm excited about it. I still look back at last year's draft and think they did some things that, number one, just made sense to me. But number two, I know there seems to be some sort of mixed feeling or even less than that negativity about supposed lack of immediate impact from the draft class. And I guess that's one way you could look at it. The other way is I don't know why we're particularly worried about year one. I think years two and three are going to be far more instructive and indicative as far as what we're looking for from those guys. I expect one or two of them to pop, uh, you know, poke their heads out and, and really show something this spring in addition to the couple of guys that already started contributing last year. So when you start to think about those kinds of players and the opportunities they're going to have to add 
players in this draft and just looking at the list of, you know, you could pick anybody's top 32 or top 50 or top 100 prospects. And you have to think that those first five out of 65 that the Browns have are going to, I mean, those are all guys that should play right away and contribute pretty quickly. I mean, leaving aside the quarterback for a moment in case they do do that. And obviously there's a lot of indication that they, that they might, um, Aside from quarterback, they've got an opportunity to add four or five starters immediately, and some of them really, really good. And so I'm excited about it. We'll talk about all of it. Uh, A couple of quick thoughts on things I don't think are real likely. There have been a lot of rumors of late about Mitch Trubisky, and I'm not saying that Mitch himself is not a likely Brown. I think there's, you know, a decent chance that that's a guy they might target. Uh, But I'll tell you this. If they were to pick him at one, I would be stunned for a number of reasons. Um, Not the least of which is it wouldn't really fit with what this regime has at least shown us in the first year that they're looking for um, from a pickup that high. I mean, look, the guys played 13 games and whether you started 13 games and whether you like uh, Trubisky or not, there's just no way around the fact that that is a relatively small sample size by collegiate standards and B that there aren't a lot of guys in the NFL history, in, in the NFL history, who can point to that kind of a small collegiate experience sample, and then a whole bunch of success. And I don't think anybody's putting Cam Newton and Mitch Trubisky in the same sentence just yet. So I think with all these guys, you just got to wait and see. And at the end of the day, I, I struggle to imagine them ignoring a prospect with a grade as high as a Miles Garrett, for example for a guy who's only started 13 games and, and certainly by by any account I can find doesn't have a grade up anywhere near that. Um, so if you assume that you love the player, you ought to take him at one. And so I guess the other thing I think isn't very likely is this idea that they would trade up to number five or so for Mitchell Trubisky when if you're going to do that and you're going to give up multiple high picks to do that, if in fact you had to you would just take him at one. The likelihood that you've got Garrett so far above Trubisky that you would take him over a quarterback that you apparently have to have because if you're willing to trade up to five, you have to, you've decided you've got to get this guy. And if you've decided that, then you have to be willing to go to two as well. And I just, I, I just struggle to imagine a scenario where they're willing to go all the way to five, give up multiple picks to do it, and they wouldn't just take him at one. I think th- we needn't worry that the Browns would pass at number one on a quarterback that they had deemed the absolute must-have-it-our-guy-franchise-quarterback-of-the-future. We want to tie our jobs to this cat pick. So I don't think that's what they're going to find in any of these quarterbacks. Maybe I'm wrong. So we'll see what happens, and uh, we'll talk about the varying levels of uh, interest in each of those guys. And, and again, I'll come out of it like this. I'll really be fine if they decide they want any one of those top sort of accepted four, which is Watson and Mahomes and Trubisky and Kaiser in whatever order you want to put them. Mahomes is probably my favorite. I guess if you're making me choose two, I want Mahomes or Watson. I understand why people like the other guys, and I'm not going to be too bummed out about it if if the organization has decided that that's what they're looking for. Um, but again, I think that trade-up idea is pretty unlikely. Just looking at the kinds of players that just by maths you know, have to be available at 12. Some of these players available at 12 are awfully, awfully good-looking prospects, and the Browns are going to be sitting pretty whether they move or not. So 
to me, it's just a matter of how they feel about the quarterback. And if they feel that strongly about the quarterback that they'd go up to five or so to get him, to me, you ought to just take him at one. So that is my sort of lead-in to the whole draft discussion. Once we get down to it on Thursday, of course, everything is going to go out the window and trades will start to happen. And who knows who's going to pick when. But as it stands now, you got the Browns at one. And I think the presumptive choice that everybody is assuming they'll do is take Miles Garrett, the defensive end out of Texas A&M. It's what I would do. It's what I think they should do. Um, you know, I'll hear other arguments, but at the end of the day, I think there, it's not often that the best player or number one prospect in a draft is so well-defined um, when it's not a quarterback. And it seems to me that I've not seen a lot of arguments, but that Miles Garrett ought to be number one. There, there are a couple here and there. Um, but by and large, the football world seems to think that's the obvious choice. So the Browns will do that at one, and then all bets are off. Who knows what the Niners and Bears and Jaguars, all of whom, in my opinion, are just as in need of a quarterback as the Browns. The Titans presumably will not take a quarterback, but that doesn't mean they wouldn't trade with somebody who might. The Jets need a quarterback. The Chargers could theoretically be looking at a quarterback in the future. Phillip Rivers is 36 years old. Carolina doesn't need one. Cincinnati doesn't need one. Buffalo needs one. And the Saints have talked about it. Arizona has talked about it. So look, the idea that the Browns could just sit there and assume that somebody would get to them if they really liked them is a bad one. And again, that all just filters back to my original thinking on what is and is not likely about the quarterback. But at any rate, a lot of other players they're going to get to. And frankly, as I've tweeted... I would be really excited with a let's build a face-eating defense draft. I mean, you could skip the quarterback altogether if you decided that you weren't really excited about one and just maybe take sort of a middle-round shot like they did to a degree with Cody Kessler last year. You hear a lot about Josh Dobbs in this class, but look, there are a lot of guys that could help this defense, and specifically in the defensive backfield. Once you get past Garrett, of course, the Browns still need depth along the line. I don't think you're likely to see a lot in the way of an inside backer, but in terms of corners and safeties, there is a ton of it in this draft, and the Browns need a ton of it. So it's just one of those things where it matches up, and I'm excited to see when you've got huge, huge reserves of draft picks and you need the turnover and you need the talent infusion. Um, trading away those draft picks makes less sense to me than simply stocking the farm with really good players. So that's kind of what I'm hoping they'll do. And my preference is that they manage to find a quarterback they like at a value they like, and it just sort of falls together the way it has for so many teams with their good quarterbacks. And with that, I'll just uh, I'll look through that list and think, I don't know. I, I think two quarterbacks, an offensive lineman, and a couple of corners are likely to go in the top ten, and I think that mostly based on history. So when you start plugging in whichever names and you look at who's going to be there at 12 and who theoretically could be there at 33, you start to realize this could really be one of those franchise-changing drafts. And so I hope you guys are ex as excited about it as I am. Uh, hopefully the trip to 1-15 in 15 since our last podcast has not uh, s you know, sapped you of your competitive juices and your excitement for the Browns. Uh, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Oh, a little announcement. Let's, uh, let's just put this out there now. This fall, the Browns will be in, and, and closer to it, winter, early December. The Browns will be in Los Angeles taking on the Chargers. Should you all be there, 
plan to get in touch because there will be there will be a tailgate of some kind and then for those of you that would venture so far as across the pond to see the browns play in london please do hit me on twitter if you're doing it and let's all try and find a spot uh with that i think it's time to uh, just get down to it i spoke at length with both brendan leister and pete smith uh and we talked everything and like i say Hard to believe we all came down on the same quarterback, and so apologies if we don't fawn over your guy quite as much as we do ours, but just know that we all think it equally reasonable to do X, Y, and Z. Um, but we felt like if you're going to talk about what you've seen and what you like and it's your podcast, you might as well have your opinion on there too. So we'll, we'll have a little rooting about our quarterback. But beyond that, we're going to get into all the position needs. We'll talk about some of the guys that you can be looking for. And, of course, all of this, disclaimer, 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 all of this, will be proven inordinately wrong in just four days' time, and we look forward to wrapping that up with you uh, a week after the draft or so. And with that, let's go first to my conversation with Brendan Leister here on the Browns Note Podcast. Okay, pleased to be joined now by my old friend Brendan Leister, who you can be and should be following at Brendan Leister on Twitter. He is the quarterbacks coach at Hiram College. Is it college or university, man? Yeah, it's Hiram College. All right, Hiram College, which is somewhere in Ohio, and I'll let him give you all the details. I'm sure many of you as Browns fans have much better familiarity with all the various schools in that football-lusty state. Uh, But it's good to have you back, man. It's good to be uh, putting this podcast effort together again. I don't know how, uh, how totally... Frequently, we'll have it up until the season, but I'd like to get the season podcasts going again, and hopefully the Browns will at least give us a reason to, to keep them moving beyond like week four. Uh, but at any rate, man, good to have you back. Yeah, I'm excited to be back on. Um, I'm, just, I'm really excited for the draft right now, just following along, trying to watch players when I can. Um, we've got our eighth spring ball practice tomorrow, so we're about halfway through that, so a lot of fun stuff going on right now. I can't wait till Thursday, and I'm excited to talk with you about some Browns football. How are the quarterbacks, real quickly, looking at Hiram College this year? Uh, pretty good. Um, they're actually two of the better players on the team right now. I just think they really have a good grasp of the offense. They're both obviously returning guys because in spring ball, D3, we don't bring in freshmen like the big schools do. So, yeah, we've got a junior and then a sophomore and uh, so the junior had some success last year. Uh, I guess he was struggling one game in the first half, and they ended up benching him, and they put in the kid who's going to be a rising sophomore, and he threw three touchdown passes in the second half. So I like touchdowns. Both guys are pretty talented. Yeah, I like touchdowns too. So uh, we have a quarterback competition going on right now, and it's going good, and I'm really enjoying coaching them. They're good kids. Nice. Fun stuff. Well, Let's do get to the Browns draft. You know, we have in the past done super deep dives before the draft into every position, and that's not what we're going to do this year. This year we're going to sort of do a 20,000-foot easy little mellow preview, and then once we know what the Browns have done and what everybody else has done, um, particularly within the division, we'll take a look at the roster as we think it is going forward. We'll have some questions answered at that point, obviously. Um, And, of course, we might as well start with the biggest of the questions, which is, what is this team going to do about quarterback? As things stand, the room, of course, is <clears throat> Brock Osweiler, Cody Kessler, and uh, I, I guess Kevin Hogan. I, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but uh, 
It's those guys, and the deal being nobody really thinks or seems to think that Osweiler is long for the roster, and Cody Kessler, while he certainly exceeded any expectations I had for him last year by a great degree and earned enough respect that you can see where maybe their thinking is that 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 guy will get them through maybe at best 2017 or at worst part of 2017, I got to say I can't imagine that they're really very far down any kind of path like Cody Kessler might someday be our guy. And it sure seems like all the time they spent this offseason on quarterbacks and all the rumors we're hearing about quarterbacks would lead us in the direction of they're at least thinking about the quarterback. And I don't tend to imagine we're going to see the big veteran trade. So as far as quarterbacks in the draft go, I know you and I are both uh, – I won't go too far. I'll say the the top preference – would be Mahomes, and probably for a lot of the same reasons, and a lot of people are going to think we're crazy because of Trubisky or Watson, and in some cases even uh, a Kaiser who is well down the board for me at this juncture, uh, as are some of the other guys that people have talked about, Davis Webb and Nate Peterman. And then there's always Josh Dobbs, who we'll get to. Uh, But tell me just sort of your canvassing of that top four, assuming that Somewhere in the first round, the team is at least considering taking a quarterback with one of those two picks or trading back and forth from 12. Yeah, so just at the top, I've got Patrick Mahomes. Like you said, um, I'm a big fan of his. I think he's a really accurate passer, and he can throw the ball from multiple platforms. Um, and one of my favorite quarterback coaching books, actually, um, it's by Terry Shea. He used to coach in the NFL. He's a quarterback's coach for a long time. Um, he talked about how, of the time quarterbacks have to be able to make throws without their feet under them in the NFL. That's huge. If you can't make throws without your feet, then you're not going to be very good. You're not going to be very good under pressure. So you'll struggle. And I think Pat, Pat Mahomes can do that. Um, He, he makes incredible throws from multiple throwing platforms. Um, One of the things he obviously needs to work on. Everybody knows this is his footwork. I mean, that's, pretty inconsistent it gets them in some bad spots sometimes sometimes but I think that's definitely something that can be improved upon at the NFL level it isn't like he has any other significant huge flaws and he does tend to get a little careless with the ball at times he'll try to force it in windows he admits to being a gunslinger but I actually like that about him because he's willing to take those chances with the ball and force the ball downfield. And I think last year we saw in Cleveland that if you have a quarterback that's not going to test those windows and force the ball down the field and defenses can come up at the line of scrimmage and they can really, you know, put everybody up at the box and just say, okay, quarterback, why don't you throw down the field and beat us? And that's, I think that's a big reason why Cody Kessler went 0 and 8 last year. So I really like Mahomes. And, And another thing is just his situational, ball I think he plays really good situational football Um, my friend Justin Higdon he does a lot of the stat collecting and stuff like that Um, he found I think Mahomes had like over 50 percent completion percentage on third downs I believe and some other stats like that so he just he really does a lot of good things not to mention his background with his dad playing MLB his godfather playing in the MLB for a long time as well so I just really like a lot of things about Patrick Mahomes um, number two for me is Deshaun Watson. I just, I really think like, he's a winner. And I know a lot of people will scoff at that, you know, draft Twitter. They're against like QB wins and all that, but the guy wins games. He does, he plays situational football. He understands, um, 
He understands what to do with the ball. He doesn't. He does did throw more interceptions than you'd like to see. But another guy, um, Mark Schofield, he put out a really good video explaining some of those interceptions, why they weren't always on him. There were some miscommunications. And also when you play that many games, like Watson did in college, he started three years. You're going to throw more interceptions than other guys when you have more attempts. Um, And also his accuracy is not the best, but I think it's good enough to get the job done. I really – um, and from everything that I understand about Watson character wise, it seems like he's a really good person off the field. It's going to do the right things, make the right decisions. So I just, I don't see a ton of risk with Deshaun Watson, let like with some you, other guys. Let me interrupt you. What, what do you make of, look, I know what I make of it, which is I, I have some real qualms about the way that the velocity is measured at the combine, but there is that number that's out there where Deshaun Watson threw the supposed 49-mile-an-hour ball, which is well below what the people that manage these kinds of things consider to be sort of the floor threshold. When, I don't know, I watched his tape, and I, his tape, you know, I watched a lot of his games via television broadcast angle, and it sure seemed to me like he had plenty of arm. He's one of those guys I haven't seen throw in person yet, and to me that always does make a difference. But what do you make of it? when you can't reconcile what you think you see in a game or in a number of games in his case, so a couple of years' worth of games, and obviously his arm was good enough to tear apart some awfully good teams. And so what do you do when you can't reconcile what you think you see with what some of those measurable thresholds tell you in terms of statistical success data? Yeah, I think I think statistics are really important when it comes to evaluating players and mitigating risk, so to speak, and trying to kind of weed out the guys that aren't going to fit and aren't going to have as high a chance of success. But I don't really buy into that, that reading with, uh, with the speed and the velocity of his throws. I mean, if you watch him play at Clemson, I think most people that watched him would, I, I didn't hear any arm strength questions before that, before he went to the combine. And I remember everybody was hyping him up about his combine combine performance they were saying oh Deshaun Watson he threw the ball better than anybody you know and they were all saying oh well Kaiser struggled and you know all the stuff that they they blow out of proportion after the combine well that was two of the biggest things and then all of a sudden there's this reading that comes out about the velocity I just I don't really buy into it um I texted a friend of mine that he actually scouted in the NFL for a long time I'm obviously not going to give his name away or anything like that but you know, I asked him what he thought of it, and he said he honestly doesn't even look at it. And he's been in the league long enough. And I know that a lot of people would say, oh, well, you know, maybe they're behind the times or whatever. But I just – I don't see the sample size either. Like, a lot of the quarterbacks over the years haven't even thrown at the combine. So totally. there was no reading on them. Well, and they've only been measuring the it for a guys. few years, really. I mean, it's just not been done that yeah. long. Yeah. Exactly. So I, it, it, it doesn't mean anything to me. I think Deshaun Watson can make all the throws. And, and I'm a big believer that if you don't have the strongest arm, you can get away with it with timing and anticipation and those other things that, like, your mind, understanding what the defense is doing, understanding where your receivers are going to be. I saw Joe get away Montana win a, a lot of games like that. Exactly. You can get away with a little less velocity if you have those other things, and I think Deshaun Watson has the aptitude to do those things. So that's why I'm a fan of his, and I think he'll be a good – a solid to good NFL quarterback. 
And so then from those two, you've got Trubisky and Kaiser, I assume, in that order. And yes. tell me, you, look, I think a lot of people understand what the arguments for Kaiser are, or not Kaiser, excuse me, for Trubisky are. Um, and, and I do too. I see everything there is to like that everybody sees. However, I also see extremely raw. I also see a guy who clearly hasn't seen a whole lot of defenses yet because that game against Stanford, those two picks that he threw were a big friggin' problem. And I know that he brought the team back, and I loved every second of the competitiveness and the ability to bring the team back. But at the end of the day, they did fall short, and they were only there because he didn't know what he was looking at in what I look at as some fairly mundane looks. And so I can understand a team being willing to live with that learning curve. But I got to tell you, I don't see anything when I watch Trubisky that I sort of toss into the special category. And I'm always looking for, if I'm going to take a guy in the top 10, top 15 of the NFL draft, I really need to kind of see that. For me, that's just my sort of philosophical point of view. I know others are, are more of the opinion that if you think he can be a starting quarterback, take him. For me, if you're taking him up there, he needs to be more than just a starter. Um, because there are some starting quarterbacks in the NFL that I wouldn't want, frankly. Uh, tell me about your view on Trubisky, and then obviously wrap it with uh, a couple of a couple of the other guys. Whether you have Kaiser there, and and you know, there's Webb, there's Peterman, there's whoever you like down there. Chad Kelly, way down at the bottom. But tell me your thoughts. So with Trubisky, I just have a lot of questions about him. You know, I mean, everybody mentions the. He didn't start those two years. Well, why? I heard that leading up to the season before this past year, he was supposed to be the starter until the end, and then all of a sudden Marquise Williams like took the job and started. So I'd love to know what happened there. Um, another thing, they had eight guys at the combine from that team, so it's not like he was dealing with a weak team, but they only won eight games. So in the year before that, they were in the a- ACC championship game with a quarterback that I believe went undrafted or – was in the seventh round or something. So those are just some questions that come to mind off the top. Why did the team regress when he took over as a quarterback? Um, And then just on the field, I just think there's some mechanical issues, which are little things that can be corrected, but they can be hard to correct. Um, And that's as far as like following through on throws, um, his platform at times, he gets really high on his toes in the pocket. And I think that leads to him overstriding a lot, and he misses some throws because of that. He also struggles to throw with guys around him because of that. I think he does do a really good job of playing out of structure. Like when the play breaks down, he's very accurate when he throws on the run. He's, he's um, he got has an great absolute receiver. playmaking element to his game that I think yes. is a plus for sure. Yep. I agree, and I think he's a hard guy to really find a comparison for when I think about guys I would compare him to like Sam Bradford was a guy that kind of came to mind when I was watching him but I would say like you said when when I was watching and I texted you that he does have more balls than Sam Bradford does at this point when it comes to just taking chances with the ball like I talked about with Mahomes a little earlier but uh yeah, and Mitch, another Mitch thing got a little something to him now it's not just yeah yeah it, it, he's it, you can see that he is not he, he doesn't intend to lose and I, I that that doesn't get washed over easily by me. I Mm -hmm. I think that's important. Yes. And and I just thought there were some times this past season where he really had a chance to like put his stamp on the game. Like I remember against Duke 
Um, that game was coming down to the end, and I was really excited. I was like, oh, Trubisky, he's about to have a chance for this game-winning drive. And at this point, I hadn't really studied him a lot, but I really was excited to see it. And then he just throws this awful interception down the sideline, and I'm just like, what was that? You know, there were just some really questionable yep. situations and, and plays and interceptions that he made. And I know that people will point to Deshaun Watson, his interception number two, but the thing is, those defenses had a lot more tape on Deshaun Watson. They had a lot more time to game plan for, or a lot more well, situations you saw where what they could Stanford have game did to him, him when when they found some tape when they had a month to prepare for Trubisky yep. and some tape. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And and I was impressed at the end of that Stanford game. I mean, he made throw after throw, and and his receivers were really talented, but but there were a few drops in the end zone, and it was like, man, that was a heck of a play. So I agree. He's a really competitive guy on the field. I do like his demeanor as an as a player. Um, and one last little thing that just comes to mind is I just think he falls off his platform. Um, and it's in regard to how he deals with pressure. I just think he kind of feels ghosts in the pocket at times yeah. where there's nobody really around him. It's a clean pocket. And he'll throw off his back foot like there's pressure. But the thing with him versus Mahomes is Mahomes can do that. He He is – Mahomes can do is, Mahomes can do absolutely anything with a football. That's just the bottom exactly. line. He's, and, and he's got he's got a guy. he's got a Mahomes has a rare rare arm without which we're probably not talking about him the way we are. Quite frankly. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And and the thing is, I I don't like to throw this word around a lot because I think people have different definitions for it and what they look for when they talk about this word or this term. But I just think. Like arm talent. I, I know what it means. I know what it means. I can tell you yeah, what I think it, it just... means. It's number one. There has to be an, a certain unusual strength to the arm. Number two, there has to be a natural and born with it understanding of how to manipulate both velocity and torque and angle and all that in order to put the Pace. ball where it needs to be on time. Whether you need yeah. to, and guys I've seen do it, honestly, I, I don't want to say John Elway because John Elway was prepared to go to the NFL 100%. But the kinds of things Elway had to do earlier in his career are the kinds of things you see Mahomes doing in games. And they're the kinds of mm-hmm. things you saw Brett Favre doing in games. So to me, the question with Mahomes is can you sort of harness it and can you teach him the lower body mechanics? Now, for purposes of information, I, that piece from, um, I forget which of the prep services it was, um, but when Pat Mahomes was in high school, the kid threw for like 5,000 yards, ran for another 1,000 yards, had 65 total touchdowns. This was just as a senior, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and in basketball, averaged 19 and 8.5. And baseball was his best sport by a long shot. So if you're betting on whether or not this guy can do something athletically with his feet, by the way, he was going to get drafted as a pitcher or shortstop, he could probably handle the footwork. I mean, the drills are not going to kill him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think he seems like a guy that's going to put the time in, too. He just he seems like he gets it. And I don't want to keep coming back to him because I know yeah, we've we done can't. that a couple We're times it. now. But, <laughs> but it's just, yeah. But it's just when you compare, you know, certain things come to mind and it's just, he just has a lot of those things that you look for from a talent standpoint. Yeah, so the guys uh, so we anyway, don't like, Kaiser yeah. and Webb and all those guys. Yeah, so Deshaun Kaiser. So when you watch him play, 
when you first see him, you're going to think, wow, this guy, he looks like an NFL quarterback. But dang, he's 6'5", stands tall in the pocket. I keep saying um, his, best, 200... his best games make him QB1. His worst games make him QB5. Yeah, you could you could say that. So he makes he makes these great throws in the pocket. Um, I would say that his pass game, the concepts in his pass game are similar to some of what you'll see in the NFL. Although I'll also add that all the other schools are at, are running some NFL concepts too. But I would say at Notre Dame, more of what he did in the pocket just looked more NFL like from the standpoint of what he was looking at and what the receivers were running and all that. But again, I come back to kind of, you know, this narrative-based scouting with quarterbacks, which I think has a lot more, there's a lot more to it than what people typically try to make it out to be. So he took over in 2015 after he didn't win the starting job. He told John Gruden that he thought about quitting and picking up a baseball because he was competing with Malik Zaire, who is a very, very talented quarterback who I took the time to study the other night. And I'm still not sure who the better guy is. So I can't really blame Brian Kelly for rolling with Zaire at first because they're just both talented. So anyway, so he says that, and then he ends up playing because Zaire gets hurt. He takes over, and he's on this veteran team with all these really good players around him, great talent, you know, and they, they went on. I think they won 10 games that year. And so then there's all this hype and everything. And so what happened in the offseason was, Everybody expected Kaiser to start, but Brian Kelly's still like, well, you know, Zaire's still here. He's still a really good player. So he was planning on having the quarterback split time, and everybody kind of thought that was crazy. But so after game one, you know, Kaiser kind of stepped up, took the, took the role, uh, played really well against Texas. So then he, st- he started the rest of the year. But the thing that happened was it wasn't that veteran team anymore, and the team kind of fell apart. You know, it was they went four and eight. That's the worst year at Notre Dame since the year after Brady Quinn left. So that makes you sit there and you're like, why would Notre Dame ever go four and eight when they have the talent that they have? I mean, Notre Dame is always at the top of the list when you look at recruiting rankings, all that. I know people don't like Brian Kelly, but he's a good I mean, he is a good coach. He's had success. There's no doubting that. So I'll get into his skill set a little bit now. So, very strong arm. I think he has a lot of inconsistencies with his accuracy, his lower body mechanics. He doesn't consistently drive the ball. You'll see that. I know that he said the other day that he can throw the ball 72 yards, but if you watch him a lot of times, he doesn't drive the ball like that with consistency. And his accuracy is just all over the place a lot of times because he's just not driving the ball. Uh, You see it. If you really pay attention to Kaiser, when he throws the ball, his back, his back foot comes up off the ground often. And that, and that is a sign that a guy is not driving the ball. And I just think that really messes with his accuracy. You see a lot of plays where the, the ball is just scattered and you never know where the ball is going to be. He's a very streaky passer. So he'll, he'll have a few good, really good high-end plays like you talked about. against. I remember a few plays against Michigan State where he's like, whoa, that is that's awesome. That is about as good as it gets for he's stepping up in the pocket, evading the rush, throwing the ball down the field, and like, whoa, that's a crazy play. But then he'll miss seven or eight throws in a row that are wide open. You'll be like, where was that coming from? And another thing is just I don't like his 
the way he processes on the field. I just think he processes information slowly and he misses a lot of open receivers underneath. And I don't know if they were telling him to push the ball down the field because I know that like back with, well, I'll just say with air raid quarterbacks, a lot of times that's what air raid quarterbacks are told push the ball down the field, especially before, instead of taking that wide open option underneath. So I don't know if he was told that, but it just seemed to me like he was not taking what the defense gave him enough. And, and he just seemed to really process information slowly on the field. And, and he took some really, really, really bad sacks too, where he should have seen the guy that's about to blitz off the edge and he misses him. And then he takes that sack and everybody's like, Oh, well, the offensive line, blah, blah, blah. But it's actually, that kind of stuff, it looks like it's on the quarterback, like he should have saw that. So that's just a few of the things that I've seen with Kaiser, and that's the reason why he is not in my top three. I don't really have rankings after the top three, but he's he's definitely not in my top three. And so there's Webb and there's Peterman. Does anything excite you about either of those guys? No, not, not with Webb. Like I've said uh, multiple times, I'm not going to get into him. I, I haven't even watched him because – he was, after week five, he was the worst quarterback, according to Pro Football Focus in college football. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know that's people good don't like Pro Football Focus, <laughs> but if the guy was the worst, I'm not going to waste my time watching him. I so tend to agree. I hope he doesn't go to the and Browns. Let's, let's not pretend um, the Browns didn't line up pretty closely with Pro Football Focus. We have yet to see what it means quarterback-wise. Um, well, maybe we don't have yet to see. I mean, Kessler is an, at least an indicator. Um, but all right, let's skip yeah. off the quarterbacks because I think I think you and I have covered at least the guys that we're interested in. Josh Dobbs is out there, and we'll see. Sort yeah, he's of, intriguing. Yeah, he's intriguing, but he's not yeah. an upper and, and level I think they have prospect. Interest, so I'll just say that. Yeah, I do too. Um, talk to me real quickly about the rest of the needs on offense. What do you What do you see as sort of the top three needs, and and maybe sprinkle in a few of the guys you've noticed from the college ranks, maybe at, at different levels of value in the draft. Uh, that you might like to see them target? So off the top, I think slot receiver. Slot receiver is a big need for the Browns right now. I don't really see a guy on the roster that projects great there, aside from Corey Coleman, who I believe can play all three spots between X, Z, and slot. Um, Kenny Britt, I'm I'm not 100% sure which guy's going to play, you know, which side yet, but I just think that they need a slot receiver. Um, I do like those – those young rookies they brought in last year as late round guys and all that. But if they could find a really good guy to fit in the slot, I think they, they could definitely use that. Um, Evan Ingram is a guy I love in the slot. He's actually my top slot receiver that I've seen in this draft. And I know a lot of people peg him as a tight end, but when I watched him play, I really thought there were some similarities to Braden Marshall with what he can do. And when I looked at his test numbers, he actually was faster than Brandon Marshall and just tested better on a few of the different agility scores and stuff like that. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that he can be that kind of a slot receiver um, and really have that kind of impact on the game. So I'm a big fan of Evan Ingram, and they might be able to get him in the second round. I know they coached him at the Senior Bowl too, so that is um, another reason to kind of connect him to the Browns. Another guy that I really like as a slot is Ryan Switzer. And he played with Mitch Trubisky in North Carolina. And Switzer is just pretty different really, slot receivers there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I, I don't know what they're looking for in a slot, but I think there's two kind of 
prototypes for a slider theory. You can have your big slot and you can have, you know, the typical, like people think of like the West Welker type, you know? So there's, there's different kind of guys you can put in the slot to get it done. You know, like they had Andrew Hawkins in the slot last year. So Ryan Switzer would fit more into that Andrew Hawkins type role, that short, quick, shifty, smart slot receiver who's going to find those open open parts in the zone and sit down. Um, I think he can play outside a little bit, but he's I'll mostly say this, just if you're going to draft Trubisky, like you might Hawkins. as well draft Switzer. Yeah, but, I mean, even if you draft one of those other quarterbacks, I think Switzer should be an option for them and probably that fourth to fifth round range, I can imagine. I think he might be there in the fifth round just because I've heard people talk about the other receivers in this class so much, but I just I really think Switzer stands out just as a route runner and with I, I just think he'd really fit the Browns well. And I also think they have a huge need at punt returner, which I think we'll get into a little more in a little bit. But he is a very good punt returner. He had a lot of success there and they need a punt return bad right now. So that's another area he could fill. Um, tight end, I would say, is their second need. I'm a really big fan of Seth DeVal. I think he's going to be a really good player. He showed a lot last year and the limited time that he had because of the injuries. But I just think with his injury history, you have to add another guy at tight end. Plus, considering this is such a great tight end class, you don't want to miss out on one of those talented guys. Um, and then they have Gary Barnage, of course, as well. As, and also Randall Telfer, who I thought played well as a blocker. But um, so some names that come to mind would be O.J. Howard. He, I think he's the best tight end in the class. I think he's the top five player in the class from all the guys that I've seen. And I don't like to use the word safe, but he might be the safest player in the class. Just when it comes to, I just don't think he's going to bust. I just think he's, He's a well-rounded, really good athlete, really good blocker. He can play off the ball. He can play on the line. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. So I just think he can do a lot of things with him, and he understands how to run routes, how to get open. And when he gets the ball in his hand, he's, he's yeah, just a demon he, after he the catch. He really separates himself in his ability to block yep. in, in an NFL fashion. Um, the only other guy yes. I can think of, and I might be blanking on somebody else, but the only other guy I saw in the class as a tight end that I thought – could do some of that same inline stuff was uh, the kid out of, um, is it Virginia or Virginia Tech? Um, uh, Hodges? Yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah, I haven't watched him a whole lot. I think he did play a lot of wide receiver in college, but I know Justin Higdon. Um, I mentioned him earlier, but my friend from Draft Breakdown, I believe he's a big fan of Bucky Hodges, so maybe he could do those things as well. But, uh, yeah, that's two guys that might be able to fit at tight end. And then the third need, I'll just say, is offensive line. You know, I don't, I don't think you can ever have enough offensive linemen, especially good ones. And uh, the two positions that I could see them adding would be at center because even though they just brought in uh, J.C. Treader, who I think was an awesome pickup, great fit, who was actually the guy I wanted the most in free agency, but he has such a – bad injury history. I don't think he's ever played 16 games or last year might've been the first year he ever did. So I could see them adding a center, Pat Elfline. I watched him play his whole career at Ohio state. Great, great player. I think he's going to have an awesome career in the NFL. So I could see them bringing him in. I actually saw today. I think Joe Thomas posted on Twitter that, that he was, that Elfline was in the building and he met him. And so 
that was kind of cool seeing that. And then right tackle is kind of the position right now that's unsettled on the offensive line. Um, they have Sean Coleman, who they took in the third round last year. Cam Irving's going to compete with him for the starting job. But if they feel like a right tackle is just jumping out at them value-wise in the mid-round, mid then maybe they pull the trigger. But I don't really think they should do that. And I also think just based on everything that I've read and heard, this is like the worst offensive line class yeah, ever. That's so. what I keep hearing. <laughs> so I, I actually don't expect them to do a lot on the offensive line. I sort of think that – I agree. I think they've sort of – I mean, if if there were a value that just was unavoidable, you could do it. But I guess I yeah. think they, they probably like about the group that they have, and I think they went about their offseason the way they did in part with the thought that if we can add some starters here, the guys we have – actually form pretty reasonable depth and it looks like that's the way they're kind of going into this thing but we'll see um what about on the defensive side of the ball what are the what are the need i mean they need defensive backs galore we know they're taking uh, we're assuming they're taking miles garrett at one so we know they're at least addressing edge but tell me your thoughts generally um we can assume or not assume as you may prefer uh whether garrett is the obvious pick at one yeah, I'm just going to hit on edge really quick. So I think that's their top need on defense. I think they addressed that with Miles Garrett off the top. They've got Emmanuel Logba, who had a pretty good rookie year. They're going to have Carl Nassib as a guy who can hopefully just play on both sides and split time with them and rotate in. So I think I think Nassib could be a really good depth player and a really good rotational pass rusher. So I'm excited about those three. Um, three technique is their second biggest need on defense, I think, and – I really don't feel very confident about what they have there right now because Desmond Bryant just hasn't stayed healthy over the years. And I think he's the guy that's pegged to play that spot. He's kind of like the forgotten man right now because he didn't even touch the field last year. So I don't know what to think of him right now. And uh, I just think it's a huge need because other than that, they've got Jamie Meter, who is a very, very solid player, but he's not the kind of penetrating force that you want at that position. Look at what Greg Williams had in, in uh, Los Angeles. He had Aaron Donald. That is that is like the second coming of Warren Sapp. So I assume that at some point in this draft, they're going to want to address that position. And the only other guy on, that, on the roster that I can think of that plays that position is Xavier Cooper. And I think he's been very underwhelming to this point. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's not on the roster when the regular season starts. So three technique, defensive tackle is a huge need. Um, defensive back. And so you can just say any of the positions in the defensive backfield, uh, the guy, I feel they need five of about them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they need, yeah, they, I like what they have at corner as far as just having three guys that can all play. Hopefully Hayden is healthy. I actually feel the worst about him right now. I feel pretty good about body Calhoun with what he showed last year made a lot of plays on the ball down the field, and I was just impressed with him overall, the way that he improved throughout the season. Jamar Taylor came on, and he just surprised everybody and earned that contract. So I feel good about Jamar Taylor, but I think that a corner, they, at corner they should look to bring in a guy that can develop behind those three and then if they get rid of Hayden after this upcoming season, potentially, hopefully that player has the potential to turn into a number one corner. So a guy that kind of comes to mind, which might not happen now because people are talking about him in the top 20, 
all of a sudden. But Adoree Jackson was the guy that I was really thinking of to come in, develop behind those three. If they get hurt, he could step in and kind of learn under fire. But he's got the ball skills. Also, he won the um, the Thorpe Award. And if you look at their draft picks last year, they he's had a, a ton of guys won awards. Returner, by the way. And exactly. And off the bat, he, he starts at punt returner and probably kickoff returner as well, and he'd be one of the best in the NFL just right out the gate. So that's why I thought he'd be an excellent fit for them. And, hey, maybe they're looking at him at 12. I have no idea. But I just know that I really like I have no reason to think they wouldn't would. be. I tell you all the time, I think corner is yeah. one of the more likely selections if they're sitting there at 12. And I don't have any idea which corner would come before the others. I'm not an expert in Greg Williams. and yeah. but, but I know Adoree Jackson's a hell of a player, and I know he fits kind of the profile of what this regime has at least initially indicated yep. they're looking for. So I agree with you. And and I agree with yeah. you that those are the needs the team has. I mean, real quickly before we wrap it up, what what are sort of a couple of the pairs you wouldn't mind seeing there? I mean, just imagine a basket of three or four players that you could come out of those first three or four picks with that would be really exciting for you? I would say I like the idea of getting Miles Garrett and then Patrick Mahomes at 33. It would be really exciting to get someone like a Dory Jackson at 52. I'm just going <laughs> to, it's just so hard to predict. Who's Can I get Buda Baker at 52? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So let's just say Buda Baker. So that's a pretty good group of four. And, and I didn't even get to talk about safety, but that's a big need. And the only guy I really feel gr- good, not even great, but good about at safety is I just like what Derek Kendrick did at times last year when he was playing as a strong safety and not tasked with covering the deep part of the field. So that's the only guy. Sorry, to go back to that, but yeah, just no, wanted to throw sense. that out there. And there are a number of safeties in this draft, and I got to think they're they're going to oh, yeah. come out of it with at least one. And I'd be kind of surprised if there weren't two safeties in this draft for the Browns. Um, what yep. about what about a if it was a strictly defense in the first two rounds draft? Hmm. I would say I like the idea of Garrett Malik Hooker. Because I just I love everything about that Malik dude's Hooker. not going to yep. be there at twelve. <laughs> you don't think so? Not no. with the I think he's going he top test ten. and the injury. Top ten. Yeah, I think so too. But I'm just throwing it out there. So if not him, let's say Garyon Conley or Dory Jackson, one of those two guys at twelve. Which everybody's going to hear that I said Dory Jackson at twelve, and they're going to think that's crazy. But I don't think it's crazy for I the just, record. Yeah, I've been seeing some things. Daniel Jeremiah said he thinks he goes top 20 or top 15. And Mike Lombardi is very plugged in, and he has a Dory Jackson. And I think he had him seventh of his 10 best defensive players in the draft right behind Marshawn Lattimore, and he was the second corner. So it seems like Dory Jackson might go pretty high. So I'll say Garrett Jackson or Garyon Conley. And then we can say – Buda Baker, and I know it's probably a stretch at 52, but I do like the idea of that. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. 
Ogunjobi, I think it is, and he yeah. and that might not even be a good pick until what about the Chris third Wormley? or fourth round. Where can you get Wormley? Yeah, Chris, yep, that's the guy. Okay, you 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 mentioned the guy. I'm glad that you said him. Yeah, I would love Chris Wormley. Got to get that three tech man. I mean, look, I don't want yeah. anybody to not consider. Look, I know he didn't test well, but if I'm sitting there at 12 and Jonathan Allen's available and I can't get my quarterback, I'm not going to not think about that having taken Miles Garrett yeah. at one. Oh, yeah. I, I agree. And, and like Solomon Thomas. I mean, people are saying now all oh, the I NFL's mean, There's going to be Solomon somebody really media. good at 12. Yep. Yeah. And, I mean, if it was Solomon Thomas, I would, I would run to the podium. Sprint to oh, the podium. God. And and, yeah, and I, there are other guys. Huh. I mean, there are other guys that can play up front. So I, I just think they have a chance to to build a really fun squad on on the yeah. defensive side of the ball. If they decide to get a quarterback, I hope they do address the weapons a little bit. Um, and we didn't even talk about running backs. And you never you just never know what they're going to do about running back. It's not like they've decided about Crowell. It doesn't look like so. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see all the competing motivations. And we will, of course, come back and talk about all of it in a week or two after this draft is done and when we both have a little free time. Uh, but, dude, this was fun. I'm glad we got to, glad we got yeah. to catch up. Yeah, definitely. It was awesome. And I'm glad that you just thought of Chris Wormley because he kind of got me off the hook there. I'm a big fan of his. <laughs> I wasn't going to let you not have Chris Wormley on this thing because I, I knew yeah. you liked him. so. All right, that is Brendan Leister, at Brendan Leister on Twitter. He's the quarterback's coach at Hiram College. Uh, Go check them out if you're local. All right, man, we will talk to you again soon right after the draft. All right, I am excited to be back with our old friend Pete Smith, who you can and should be following on Twitter, at underscore Pete Smith underscore Pete is a member of the FWAA, a contributor at Draft Breakdown, and of course an analyst at NFL Spin Zone, and uh, busy breaking down all of the Browns uh, at NFL Spin Zone lately, all of the different draft-related issues. Pete, good to talk to you again, man. Um, it's, it's, it's been a while. I'm excited that the sponsors could come through for it. <laughs> it has been a while, and the reasoning, of course, being... Nobody really wants to sit around and talk about the garbage dump that was the the organization over the course of the last part of last season. And look, they were losing a lot. It was obvious to most why they were losing a lot. And uh, it, it's more fun to talk about the future. So we're we're back to do that. And Pete, before you know, how are your me undies? I'm sure you're such a huge yeah. you're a, a me unders a me undies uh, early adopter. I hear it's. They, they, they tell you they're three times as soft. They aren't kidding. <laughs> the comfort is remarkable. Uh, but let's do talk about the draft. We've got, of course, just a little under a week now before the avalanche of picks the Browns have available to them uh, reveal themselves to us. And so I'm curious, first, from sort of a 20,000-foot team-building point of view, leaving aside for a moment the question of the quarterback, what you see as sort of, give me like your three biggest needs on either side of the ball. Um, it's, it starts with the, the defensive line as a whole, uh, because I think even if you accept, uh, miles Garrett as the number one pick that, that can't be it is basically the point. Um, beyond that, it then goes to the secondary, which may require an entire overhaul. Uh, and then if you go to the offensive side of the ball, the, the one spot that could really use help 
and and I think give this offense a different dynamic is a tight end who can put uh, get in the three point stance and and beat up the guy across from. We haven't had that on this team since Steve Hyden. Steve Hyden. Wow. There's a name I did not expect to discuss tonight on the podcast. That's that's how rare it is to have a guy. That, that's the dream right there. The, the, we go back to K2 and Steve Hyden, who is that guy who could block and catch some passes, and then he had those unfortunate injuries that ended that nice little run he had. Yeah, truly. And when it comes to sort of how you see the, you know, what they built last year and the progress over not only the course of the season in terms of sort of the, the bottom of roster turnover that you see where it, 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 was, it was evident that what they were doing was turning over the entire team because they didn't think the team that was existing was very good. And obviously there was plenty of evidence to support that conclusion, uh, both when they got there and over the course of 2016. So as you watched the season progress and the moves that they made, and of course I know we both liked the Darius Jackson move at the end of the year, so there were th- little things like that happen of course, across the course of the regular season. And then you've got the free agency and what they've done there. What do you think in terms of what they've done so far, what it, what it does to position them given the draft that's ahead of them, if that makes sense. Um, so over the course of the last season, they did a lot of roster moves. They did them, they did them right at the season started. They made a few, they brought in like Tyrone Holmes and, and, uh, Brian, uh, body Buck, uh, Calhoun. Uh, and then, you know, over the course of the season, they added some more guys. They added a guy like Anthony Fabiano, and all these guys were rookies. It was eventually Darius Jackson was added. And then when you got to the end of the season, you counted it up and it was in all the Browns controlled about 30 rookies going into year two, which is pretty unprecedented. Um, and just the idea that, look, they, if, if you're going to go this route, they have gone the f- whole thing. It doesn't necessarily mean they need to, um, get rid of every veteran there is, which you know led people to speculate. Well, they should get rid of Joe Thomas, the, the, that yearly tradition. But just in terms of if you're going to do this, let's really do this and bring in a b- bunch of uh, talented uh, young kids who can compete and see where they end up. Then you add in the free agency element. Uh, with uh, Treader is is interesting um, if he can stay healthy. Personally, I think once free agency is over, he should immediately hold out because the contract he signed relative to the contracts that are in this, the centers that are in this draft is a joke. <laughs> Getting underpaid as soon as this draft is over. Um, and, you know, it's Zyler true, but he also, he's also got the risk on the injury side. So he got himself some security given, given the nature of his reliability thus far. Definitely. And, and, you know, for all the consternation over, uh, you know, the, 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 the offensive line situation. Now they've gone from having, you know, what, what many were thinking was really no center to really three uh, with Treader, with, with Fabiano, who I think they really like. And then Cam Irving is going to be a guard, be a tackle. But if, if there's a situation where they need him to come in and snap, he can certainly do that. Uh, so having uh, offensive line – with three guys that can come in and snap at any point is, is, is a valuable thing to, to be able to do. And then eventually you're going to get uh, Greco back, who I fully expect will be on the pup list early in the year. So to answer your question, oh, your overarching question, 
whether it's been adept skill or just blind luck, they have managed to position themselves into a draft where most of the positions they have the biggest needs are unbelievably stacked. They took care of receivers last year. Um, their offensive line is taken care of for this year. Uh, they may add a, a guy, a tackle. Potentially there's some guys who could be added late that would be helpful. But, you know, you could add receivers. There are guys in this class that certainly help. You could add running backs. They don't need them. But the spots where they do, that's secondary you know, having Miles My- Garrett beating the top of the draft and some of these defensive tackles that can come in and play the three, I mean, it, with 11 picks, they can go to town and address all of those and not just, uh, you know, get players on day one and day two where people are like, man, maybe these guys can help out. But they're if if they are smart and they get some of these, the guys that are going to be available day three, there are going to be guys that can help and, and contribute this year. I, I think – Last year, a lot of people were frustrated with the lack of uh, immediate impact for the Browns, and what I and they saw the Cowboys and the Eagles the first three weeks, and I think they got the false impression that that was happening all over the league. Reality uh, is that uh, there was not a ton of rookie impact. It just wasn't the, the class for that. There's talent, but it was just longer developing this year, I think you're going to see a, a lot more guys able to come in and really help teams right off the bat. I think it didn't help that Bosa came in and just dominated <laughs> when knowing full well, you could have had Bosa too, but I, your point stands. I think if you look historically at what Ogba did, it falls in line with some pretty solid rookie performances. For example, Corey Coleman had his moments. I, I, I'm really not genuinely worried yet about that class. In fact, I, I think it showed plenty of promise for me to be excited about what we're going to find out. You did say they were they sort of took care of wide receiver last year, and I think there are those that would wonder whether, in fact, that's totally true. I mean, they clearly didn't get much out of a couple of those guys. Now, it sounds like they like Ricardo Lewis an awful lot coming back off the offseason. I'm wondering if you've heard anything about the other guys and what you think sort of a sweet spot might be in this draft were they to venture into the wide receiver position? Um, so for me, uh, I, I think what they see in Corey Coleman is their dude. They think he can be everything they hope to be. I think last year the Baltimore game really gave them a glimpse of what he can do for an offense, and it was sort of trying to get him back to that point. Uh, I think this offseason is enormous for him in terms of just really learning how to be a receiver. When he was drafted, that was the thing I kept hitting on. He did not know how to be a receiver yet. Uh, and th- that past offseason where he was coming off a sports hernia, it, it wasn't going to happen. This offseason, he and Lewis and I, I think Higgins and some of these other guys have been uh, working with Cody Kessler and putting in extra work. So my understanding is, is there ahead of the game in that respect, along with some of these other guys. Um, but, but certainly the guy immediately you're dubious on is Jordan Payton. And that's just a, he didn't get on the field and then B he got suspended and you have a hard time being a seventh, you know, a late round pick, whatever, sixth, sixth round pick, whatever he was uh, coming off a suspension and, and having the team sort of feel good about you. Um, so, if the Browns are going to draft a receiver, I look at look at them to do it on day three personally, and it's sheer 
matter of just how many good receivers are going to be in this class. I think uh, this has been dubbed a mediocre receiving class, and I, I just cannot disagree with that more. There are guys in this this group that are that are going to be long time, uh, and some of them potentially special receivers from this group that people just don't know yet. Who are a couple of your favorites? Well, the guy that stands out to me the most is Robert Davis from from Georgia State. Uh, anyone who's seen him, he's the biggest freak in the draft in terms of being a receiver. He's built like Josh Gordon, he's but more athletic, uh, has never gotten in trouble, which is refreshing. Uh, he's played all four years, and then the issue with him is that uh, he's so athletic and so uh, easy well, for him like at times. the time. issue with him is he played at Georgia State. Well, but the thing is, not necessarily, because he, he you can find him playing against Oregon and you can find him against Wisconsin, and he destroyed both of them. Um, the problem he has is he doesn't do a very good job of getting himself in good position to make plays, and he, as a result, he can find it difficult to create separation. Now, these are things that can be taught uh, as long as, you know, this is one of those things where Al Saunders has got to come in and be like, you know, sign off on this, that he's going to want to put in the work. Because if he doesn't, he's a more athletic uh, what's his face? Greg Little, that type of, those type of frustrations where you're seeing a guy who can do stuff and it's just not happening and I could see some of that. So that's the big issue with, that's the reason he'll be there potentially on day three. But in terms of everything else, he if, if he gets the ball in the open field or he goes deep, he's not going to get caught. He's He just flies. Fun, fun. How about, I want to go back because you mentioned, in addition to Miles Garrett, they're going to have to do some more with the defensive line, and I could not agree with you more, and I could see that happening as early as number 12, and I could see it happening at any point thereafter, depending on who and what is available and is not at, at that spot. And so maybe I'm... I'm asking sort of an impossible question, but drop me two or three sort of, I assume we're talking about at least a three tech that they need. So tell me, give me two or three guys, maybe if there were one that might be available at 12, then again at, at, you know, 33 at 52, give me, sprinkle in some guys that you think would be good fits along the draft value spectrum uh, at that three tech. Well, the the only guy that really fits the three tech at either twelve or thirty three is Malik McDowell from Michigan State. You have to appreciate how athletic he is, how dominant he can be. Uh, he's got a huge long frame. You know, size wise, he he sort of resembles Richard Seymour. Just just so um, I understand, are we assuming that Solomon Thomas and Jonathan Allen are both gone prior to that? I'm assuming Solomon Thomas is, is is gone, and I'm assuming Jonathan Allen is not a three technique. You just it, Fair it, it just yeah. If, if if we're lining up to you know to block you know a, some tough-minded football team like the Bengals usually are, or the Ravens, I do not feel good about a 286-pound uh, defensive tackle who's going to be able to hold up. Uh, I think he's a I, I think he's a good five technique, and if if the Browns draft him. Uh, that would be the signal to me that they that they actually want to be more of a hybrid front, but I wouldn't expect it. So, it, to me, then it becomes McDowell, and McDowell, you will hear at, or have heard by this point that he's arguably one of the top five talents in the entire draft. Um, 
with size, I've heard some strength, other stuff too. <laughs> yeah, the problem is the other stuff. The other stuff includes he doesn't seem to respond well to coaching, does his own thing, which I can tell you is like death uh, when you're picking players. If you aren't stuck with the guy and you're trying to fix it, you don't certainly don't want to get it. Um, and then his effort sort of dips as the score goes the wrong way. So if you're a, a great team uh, that's consistently successful, uh, you know, like a Seattle Seahawks, he, he'd probably be a great player for you. If you're the Browns where, you know, a 5-11 and season could be pretty good, um, he's probably not going to be the guy you want. And I'm not sure that Greg Williams – who I've heard talk about it has really said anything that would suggest he'd be interested in McDowell. So once you get past McDowell, the, the big two guys become, at least for me, uh, Larry Ogunjabi from Charlotte, uh, extremely powerful, uh, relatively new to football. Since Charlotte didn't have a football program, uh, he's the first class. Um, still learning the game. He's very good, good run defender. As a pass rusher, when you get in the backfield and you think you know he's got to shot the quarterback at times to like spaz out, he just doesn't it doesn't naturally come to him on how to how to attack the quarterback. Uh, but there's a lot to like there. The kid's a freaking genius. You know when he's done with football, he's going to go dissect the genome. He's got a biology and computers computer science major. Um, and then it comes to Montrevious Adams, the kid from Auburn, who's you know he's inconsistent like McDowell, but not for the, not for the right same reason. So from that standpoint, he more fits into the type of guy. I think Greg Williams would be fine with, uh, when you catch, uh, Montrevious Adams at the right time, he can be a guy who can clog, mm-hmm. uh, two gap. And then another play, he will go in and kill the quarterback. He's just, there are times when he can absolutely take over a game and, and wreck people. Um, and then there's the stuff where he's just inconsistent and, and, you know, it didn't help in, you know, in my view. It's pretty rare that you get the D line guy who is just totally without question at the college level in part, I think, because they just play so many more snaps, right? I mean, they're gonna, they're gonna wane from time to time. And, and there's also the fact that they just don't learn technique the way that they're going to need to learn it at the NFL level. There's that's that's a huge part of it. I mean, and and there's no position where it comes down to uh, snaps like that more than nose guards. And the be- the most recent example I can give of a guy who got killed for snaps was Kwan Short uh, because he was playing basically ninety percent of produced snaps, and people are criticizing him for the dude would just be exhausted, you know, at, at different points of the game. It's because he couldn't come off the field. And then he goes to uh, Carolina and suddenly he's playing more like 50% of the snaps and he's giving 50% really good snaps. So you always have to sort of have factor into the back of your mind. Uh, what, how many snaps is a guy actually playing and how many snaps do you want him to play? Yeah. I mean, what's, uh, what's driving the waning in effort? Is it that he can barely move because he's exhausted or is it that he's loafing? I mean, it, you need to be able to, and it's hard to tell from tape sometimes, but that's the kind of work the teams need to do to sort of distinguish between these guys when they're making these kinds of decisions. And most of that you find out talking to the coaches, you find out talking to support staff, you find out from doing those type of campus trips. And what do you make of Brendan's guy, uh, Wormley? 
Um, he's a body type that's easy to like. He's very athletic. Uh, good run defender. The issue there is he just, you know, didn't produce a ton. And you can certainly make the case that, well, Michigan had a lot of really good players. So, I mean, there's only so many snaps to go around. There's so many tackles, sacks, and everything else to get. Um, and that Wormley came up short in that regard, but still was an important player on the team. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're just trying to look at it from a data point of view, they, they don't look kindly on that. But um, if, if the Browns, you know, sort of look at it and go, well, you know, if he was on a different team, he had a lot more stats then I could certainly see Greg Williams looking at that body type and, and, and seeing something he could uh, absolutely work with. Speaking of things that Greg Williams might see and think that he could work with, I've heard a lot of people suggest that Jabril Peppers would be along those lines. And I, I admit to having at least a, a vague working knowledge of what Greg Williams has done over the past number of years. And in particular lately with the Rams in terms of scheme and sort of position groups and, or, uh, you know, personnel groups and so on. And I admit to having some basic notions of what I think the Browns might do, given who's on the roster and who isn't at this point. And I can see where people are coming from with the Peppers thing. I guess I personally didn't see enough from that guy to be taking him number 12 overall. But then again, I've seen guys taking number one through whatever overall that I didn't think needed to go there. So give me your thoughts on Peppers, and then let's use it as sort of a springboard into the DB position, because... It seems to me like, number one, it's a position of excruciating need for the Browns, and then, number two, it's a loaded draft at both corner and safety. So, with Jabril Peppers, you you have to take it from the standpoint that you're playing him in the box, and you're hoping he can develop coverage skills that he really hasn't had to show too much in college. I guess he was better at it, um, the previous season than he was this year, in terms of at least getting opportunities, but it's certainly an area where you're taking a, a little bit of a leap of faith, but in terms of what the Browns appear to want to do, they appear to want to run some combination of cover one with a deep safety or cover three. Uh, and in, in either scenario, there's a good chance they'll have a, 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 bat, a uh, safety down in the box that would be peppers in that case, acting as sort of an extra linebacker, but it's not quite as simple as, uh, well, he's an extra linebacker. He's still got to do coverage things that he may or may not be equipped to do. The, the mistake I think people make too often is, well, Jabril Peppers can play the uh, the linebacker position that the kid from Alabama played. Uh, Bolt, what was it? Uh, Barron. Mark Barron. And, and the problem with that is Barron was playing Will. Jamie Collins is going to be your Will. Like, that's – if you're, if you're trying really to fill debatable. that hole, it's done. <laughs> That, like he got basically a super version of Jamie Collins, and my 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 prediction with that is Jamie Collins is could could uh, come in about 240 pounds as opposed to 260 or whatever he's at to sort of maximize his agility and really get him as as twitchy as possible since he's not going to be as much of a defensive lineman. Uh, but so if you're if you're looking at it from that standpoint, I, that's not the way I'd go with it. And what about sort of the, hey, let's start with the corners, because look, I think they can look at the top three guys and think that they can get at least, you know, livable play. I'll, I'll put it that way. But 
there are an awful lot of guys in this draft that people seem to like. And, you know, not everybody can take a corner, but everybody needs six. And so there is never going to be a time when you couldn't convince me that any team would be interested in taking the right corner with the right corner and right value on the board. So give me your kind of handful of guys that not only, you know, ought to be available at some juncture that the Browns could theoretically pick, but also kind of fit in your view, what Greg Williams and the defensive staff are going to try and achieve. So the first thing is what do the Browns have? They have Joe Hayden and they have a bunch of guys who are probably better suited to the slot. So immediately my inclination is they've got to grab one, at least one. And, and to me, I'm looking at trying to get two guys who are specifically designed to play on the boundary. Um, and, and the guys that I like for that, I mean, Marshawn Lattimore is the top guy. Um, you know, not only is he physically outstanding, uh, he's shown that he can, play in any number of different type of coverages and techniques and do it, do it effectively. Uh, he's just been a, a very good player. Uh, after you get past him, the, the guy, I, the guy I like is, is Chidobe Awuzie from Colorado. And, you know, I, I like him as a corner. I also like him as a potential free safety. Uh, but he's, uh, people won't see the interceptions with him, but what he does is he separates you from the ball and he's very physical uh, and he has played a number of positions for Colorado. So he's used to playing zone. He's used to playing man. They blitz him. Uh, any, any number of things he's been, he's been able to do for them uh, past couple of years. Um, Gary Conley is obviously going to be popular because not only is he from Ohio State, but he may be in a situation that he's possibly gettable. Uh, if they're sitting there at 12, uh, he's probably going to be available, and there's going to be some – angst if they don't pick an Ohio State player if, if they're there. Uh, don't get me wrong, I think Conley is good. I think Conley is talented. I don't know if I buy the idea that he's, you know, a superstar type player. Uh, and then you get to the the, the, the guy that's going to be sort of the wild card to me is going to be Fabian Moreau. Um, I, I sort Moreau, of put he and, and Sidney Jones in the same basket just because they both have the injuries. They're Pac-12 guys and, and you know, I know Sidney Jones isn't your first guy anyway, but there's there are those who really have him ranked pretty highly. So in a class like this where it's loaded, I think both of those guys might be the kind of thing where you could be looking at a value. I, I agree. And and if I'm choosing between them, I'm taking Moreau. Um, personally, I don't think Sidney Jones is a great fit for the Browns if, he, even if he's healthy. Uh, just... I, I could be dead wrong, but just looking at what sort of they valued the last year um, in terms of players they went after, um, he didn't fit from that standpoint. I, I, I think it does not help him where he in games where he goes against like USC and he's got Juju shoot, uh, Smith-Schuster just pushing him yeah, around. Yeah, that was a tough matchup um, for him, for sure. But meanwhile, you've got a kid like Moreau, and look, the Peck thing is awful, and he has another injury – it was worse, but he is literally the most uh, athletic corner in the draft. There's no one who's, who brings more to the table in terms of an athletic component than he does, and he's pretty good, especially uh, cutting. Uh, and he's cutting not soft on, either. No, he, he'll hit you, uh, but he's a guy who will 
jump and cut down on the football and make plays. And he does a lot of the things that it, it would seem like Greg Williams would like. Now, the, uh, beyond the injury, the only other thing that will hurt Fabian Moreau probably a little bit is age. He's 23 already, and you know some people will not look super favorably on that combined with the pec injury. But uh, he's one that's going to be worth keeping an eye on because uh, there's indication that he's still going to be able to help a team this, this year. Fun. I mean, the group is – how about way down the board? Do you have a, a diamond in the rough that you want to make sure you claim? On the corners? Um, the, the two guys that stand out to me in that area are Shaquille Griffin of Central Florida. I don't know how much of a you know, late-round Jimmy is, but he's physically... I've heard his name, so that's something. <laughs> physically, very, very, very impressive, great athlete, physical, uh, gets to the ball. If you watch his tape, the things you'll notice is he's a little sloppy. Um, now, some of that just may be the fact that he wa- was more athletically impressive than basically anyone else. Uh, good kid, seems to have a really interesting situation there with his brother who made all defensive conference, his twin brother, uh, without a hand. I mean, that as a linebacker. Uh, while he made uh, second team all conference, so I mean they've got he seems to be grounded in that, that in that respect. So he's a guy I'm interested in. The other one might be Jack Tacho uh, from NC State, who is sort of I, he feels like a guy who's really under the radar because he's big, he's pretty strong, but he's just been a good corner playing against a pretty good level of competition and done a nice job with it. And then when you look at the safeties, again, just a really thick group. I mean, there are the two guys that at least most of the big draft folks have up top, which is Malik Hooker out of OSU and and Jamal Adams from LSU. But most of us have come across Buda Baker and found love there. Uh, There are guys from another guy from Colorado, Tedrick Thompson, later on down the draft. There are a couple other guys that I'm sure I'm not sprinkling in that I'd love you to, but... Tell me about the Browns' need at safety, given what they have. And, I, I, again, I, there just wasn't much there to me. But given how, to me, I, I feel like safety is even more stacked in the draft than corner is. And I know we agree on a guy named Marcus Williams. So whenever you get to him, go ahead and you know wax effusive on that guy. Uh, so if you look at the Browns' roster right now, well, if you're sitting here listening to this, you can mentally think of, who is who would be the free safety if we had a game tomorrow? And the answer to that question is Ed Reynolds, and his backup oh, would be Tyler <laughs> So if you're going into this draft, you are saying to yourself, "We are getting a free safety, and we may get more than one free safety." So that's sort of the big thing. But strong safety is not as big of an issue, at least in my mind. I, I I think they do like uh, I think they do like Derek Kendrick. Uh, I think the que- bigger question is maybe on Abraham Campbell. Uh, if if they like him, he wasn't their pick. I liked him, but we'll see where that goes. But I, but I think what's happened is a lot of people saw them take the shot at Tony Jefferson and went, "Whoa, they must not think very much of their strong safety." And I took it as, "Whoa, they really really think Tony Jefferson is good, and he is." Um, I don't think not getting Jefferson means they're they're panicking in that position. So my big focus would be free safety. So obviously everybody's going to talk about Hooker. Uh, Hooker 
is the riskiest prospect in the draft for me uh, because he, don't get me wrong, the, the positives are amazing. He's got tremendous range, ball skills, uh, shows great instincts. He, he just specializes in getting you the football. The problem is he's been great one whole season. The second problem is foreshadowing he's had, had, to our quarterback discussion. Do what? I said you're foreshadowing to the quarterback discussion. Yeah. The second problem is he's got uh, two surgeries he's coming back from, and I don't think anything coming back from the medical combine recheck is anything you want to listen to. It's just like this is the perfect time for people to put misinformation out there. This is this is about the time when Phil Taylor has you know uh, petrified feet or whatever it was. It, it feels like that, so I, I wouldn't listen to that. I don't know what Hooker's situation is. I'm assuming it's all going in the right direction. Petrified but if feet crazy, sounds really bad, man. <laughs> yeah, that's what that was. That's what I thought when I heard it. Uh, so you've got those two things. And then, you know, the other problem with Hooker is that at one point he did consider quitting football. And look, I don't get to meet Malik Hooker. I don't get to talk to Urban Meyer or Kerry Combs or any of these other guys who would may tell me that was nothing. There was, you know, there's A, B, and C behind that. Those are all gone. But, it, you know, it just sort of, eats at your confidence in it that this guy isn't trying for more of a quick money grab than it, he wants to really truly be great. So for those reasons, I have two guys ahead of Malik Hooker. I know that's, you know, a crime, but that's, that's just the way I look at it. And, and to me, a is the guy I actually have as the top free safety, but having already talked about him, I'll move on to the other guy, which is Marcus Williams. If you want a center fielder and that's what Malik Hooker is, and you don't think you can get Malik Hooker, Marcus Williams is the dude. He may not have the, you know, out-of-this-world range that uh, that Hooker does, but damn if he doesn't have good range it's himself. He's awfully good. <laughs> he, he's doing, just like with Hooker at Ohio State, Marcus Williams is doing the same thing. It's just in a different defensive set. He's still the center fielder. It's just they run cover three. But there are more than enough times where you see him bolting from the middle of the field, tracking down interception or, you know, turning and running down the field and tracking the ball over his shoulder or whatever. He's got five interceptions this year. He's got five interceptions the, the past year. He started as a freshman. He's 20 years old right now and will not turn 21 until week one of the season. So from that standpoint, you've got a, conceivably you've got Garrett, who is tw- just 21 now. And this kid is about to be 21 as two potential focal points to your defense, along with all the other things they've got going on. And Williams also has a knack for forcing fumbles. He's got four forced fumbles in his career at, at, in Utah. So to if, if you're looking at this from what does Greg Williams want in his defense, I'm of the belief that he'd like to get somebody back there who's going to make plays and cause interceptions. So I, I don't doubt they look like Hooker. What I do think is I think they love Marcus Williams, and it's because they've got everything in terms of data. He's played three years. They've got the athletic testing. He's you know he shown it. Guy? No, because he, he's true junior uh, d- declared. Uh, so he, uh, but everything else, he's got you. He's got everything you could want in terms of resume. 
Fun stuff. And and let me ask you, I was asked earlier today if, given the news that Reuben Foster might be looked at in the second round, and I was thinking to myself, well, yeah, that sounds like a value, but I can't imagine why you'd draft that guy if you're the Browns, just because knowing a couple of things, number one, they really like Kirksey, but number two, um, you're going to be in a two-linebacker set, I got to think, more often than not, aren't you? If you go by Greg Williams last year, that number was around 76%. In a two-linebacker set. Sorry, 82% last year. Two or fewer linebackers, right? Yes. Yeah, so I think it's safe to say that Reuben Foster will not be a Cleveland Brown. (laughs) Um, I'd love to get to the quarterbacks. And I I look back on 2014, and I'm going to do it this way just because I think there are some similarities and then there will be sort of a – an interesting factoid about all of our um, analysis. So back in 14, as people may or may not recall, there was the group that was Teddy Bridgewater and Derek Carr and Blake Bortles and Johnny Manziel, the erstwhile Johnny Manziel. And there were leading up to the draft, any number of possibilities as to who was going in the top five, 10, etc. And almost none of them turned out to be true. As it turned out, Blake Bortles was the only one that went in the top 10 at number three to Jacksonville, even though a lot of people thought that was going to be Johnny Manziel. Uh, Johnny went 22 to the Browns. Teddy went 32 to the Vikings in a trade-up. And then Derek Carr, who has turned out to be the best of the group, and I'll get to the point that I'm getting to, but he was taken in the second round early by, by Oakland, who had taken Khalil Mack up front. So pretty good draft for the Raiders, as it turned out, and we'll get to all that. But the point I want to get to is, in that year, I will recall, to your credit, you were a huge Derek Carr proponent. I was a Johnny Teddy guy. You had him about even for me. I leaned Johnny for what we'll just call the magic quotient, while also fully recognizing his need to both A, grow up, and B, protect himself physically, neither of which he learned to do. So, um, what I've found interesting is that you, myself, and Brendan have all fallen into at least for the sake of this class, who our QB1 is. And tell me why you came down, given that you liked Carr, given my, and given that you tend to see things um, in a quarterback position, I, I think you are very consistent with what you're looking for. And so I'm curious what it is about Mahomes that has drawn him to you. Well, it took it was a process. And, um, and that's why I ask. I should have introed because I know you didn't come into it expecting to like Pat Mahomes. No. So when you – the key with Pat Mahomes is you got to watch him like two and three times to sort of appreciate the beauty, I suppose, if you want to call it that. When you throw on Pat Mahomes the first time, what you see is a guy who's never working in structure. His feet are horrible. He's throwing from a weird angle. And it just looks like it, it just doesn't look like football in, in certain respects. Uh, looks like street ball. Yeah, which in that respect, the, the people who like to compare him to Johnny Manziel, you can have that part of it. Now, the difference is that when you keep sticking with uh, Pat Mahomes and you keep watching, the first thing you notice is his arm is unbelievable. Uh, and, and Top three? It, he walks into the league, he's got a top three arm. Am I wrong? Oh, I don't think there's any question. Um, and and, and it, what I, the question I get asked a lot and weird comparisons brought up to me is, you know, there's pl- been plenty of guys who, with big arms that didn't work, and 
Yeah, the difference here is his arm is good and the ball goes where it's supposed to. The the thing that I think drives people nuts is Pat Mahomes with horrible footwork falling off sideways will manage to throw a 45-yard ball right on the spot, have his coach's hair uh, pulling his own hair out and watching a, a receiver, by the way, if if you know the names of all those Texas Tech weapons, God bless you because I sure don't. Um, so you you get into all these things, and you're just sort of like, first, if Mahomes isn't doing all he's doing, they don't even have a chance. I mean, they only won five games anyway, but he's got to literally do everything because they got nothing on defense, and it's the Big you know, Twelve. They you got to score sixty five to win. That's just how it is. Yeah. Right. And now, don't get me wrong, I am a believer in career win-loss record in college. I, I, I do believe that matters. Uh, and and the, the math there is, is pretty staggering. Um, basically, the best-case scenario for guys with a losing career record is John Elway. Uh, I won't tell but, you that I actually used the name John Elway when talking about Mahomes earlier. It wasn't a direct comparison, to be clear. But... <laughs> But it, but if you just look at the kid, uh, you just see all these tools. You see all these things he can do. And then the further you get, you get into it, you know, you see Brett Favre. Except that everything about Mahomes seems to be the kid himself is pretty pretty grounded. Like he seems like a Super normal committed. dude. And I think, and I think having the dad he does has helped. Uh, he. And, and not only does it, is it that he had the dad he had, being a baseball player specifically, I think, helps because it is such a long, grinding season that you can't, you can't get so far up and down. You have to it, sort of keep it cool. It's a working man's sport, and you have to be even-keeled. You're 100 correct, 100% correct, especially a pitcher so, because you're going to – pitching is a lot like – and this is actually an area where I have a limited expertise, but pitching is a lot like quarterback – in that when you let a bad pitch go and it gets hammered 500 feet, you have to forget it. And a quarterback has to do the same thing. And if there's anything I can say about Pat Mahomes, it's that he has absolutely no memory for his interceptions whatsoever. And there aren't that many of them to begin with. And and he is stone-faced until the ball's in the end zone. And then he's excited. But up until that point, if you just put on a random clip, you have no idea what happened to the clip before. He could have gotten killed. He could have thrown a horrible pass that – should have been an interception, uh, whatever. But when you look at him, you have no idea. And that, and I love that. Uh, I think the people who uh, don't take into account uh, good body language by the quarterback are, are missing out just because of just like leader of anything else. You know, you want to make a military comparison, the, the general of the army, yeah. you want the guy who's leading the troops out there to, have have a a mindset, a body language. You look over and you go, yeah, he, we're going to get there. As opposed to you know the guy who's, you know, bad body language guy who's sitting there getting down on himself, going my bad. He just doesn't give you that that confidence. So I, there's just so much I like with Pat Mahomes. Now, with all of that said, I think it is a massive, horrible idea. If if you have any inclination whatsoever to thinking of putting him on the field in the regular season, and I I think that's true of all the quarterbacks. With we can quibble on Deshaun Watson, uh, but 
No, I get it. I, I get it. I basically feel the same way, and I I hope that that's what they're thinking was with a guy like Cody Kessler last year was we're going to need somebody who can at least survive. Um, having said that, I also have a great deal of faith in Hugh Jackson, at least to coach guys up. I didn't think Andy Dalton was terrifically ready when he came in and started, and yet he did fairly reasonably well. Uh, no, that's wrong. He was terrible. But he, he, he learned enough that, in retrospect, I can see where it made sense for the Bengals to have played him as a rookie. And so I can imagine a world where that happens. But I agree with you. I think all of these guys are going to need... They're gonna. Ha- it's gonna look. It takes time with any quarterback. Let's be real about this. Andrew Luck is still struggling through things. Of course, the injuries have hurt. Um, guys that have been in the league for years still have really terrible games. Some of them have down seasons. People have talked about the likes of Philip Rivers and Tom Brady being finished over the past five years. So it, it, yours and yours truly included. I said it about Phil. Um, so I think we just need to recognize the quarterback is hard as shit, and all of these guys save Deshaun Watson, have a lack of experience as part of their issue. Now, now Mahomes has played a bunch of games, but obviously there's going to be sort of the transition question that you have. So once you get past him, um, I think we've fawned over him enough. Tell me about your, your view on these other guys. Uh, Trubisky seems to have a lot of steam going into the draft. I guess I still struggle to believe it, given the, the limited you know, um, sample size, and he went eight and five at North Carolina with a bunch of pretty solid players around him, um, and a guy like Kaiser with the the stature and the in the sort of looks the part role, and then guys a little further down the draft with Webb and and Peterman and Dobbs and maybe Chad Kelly, who I know would be off of yours and mine, probably is off the Browns board, but um, I know a lot of people think pretty highly of him at least as far as what they see on the field. So just sort of take us on the tour of the rest of the quarterbacks since uh, we can't be too sure that they're all thinking exactly like we are. Well, Trubisky did end up being quarterback number two for me. Um, I don't like the assumption that he's safe because I don't believe that. I, it's, I think there too much is being taken on faith because he looks like he's supposed to look as a quarterback. It, you know, when he, when he throws, said Pete when, delicately when he towing ball, a certain line, <laughs> when, when he throws the ball, when he operates the offense, it looks, you know, he looks like a quarterback. I don't think there's anybody who's sitting there going, man, he looks weird. No, he, he, it looks right. So from that standpoint, I think there's a comfortability with sort of the orthodox approach. And then immediately calling that safe is, is dangerous to me. Um, he's talented. He's got a good arm. He's got accuracy. He's got pretty good, not great footwork. The issue with Trubisky is he doesn't have experience and, and it's, it shows that's the thing that people don't seem to understand. It's not just that he doesn't have experience is that you see it in the games that he doesn't have experience. And, and for anyone who's looking to find those games, it's any of the last months of the season with the exception of Citadel. They played Duke, they played NC State, and they played Stanford. And all those teams started switching up their defensive looks, and at times, Trubisky was completely lost through a bunch of interceptions, and they ultimately lost the games. Uh, And that's not to say it was all his fault, but Stanford in particular, that was the time machine, because that was Tim Couch in a bronze uniform. He was Mm. great coming right out, right out, First drive, looked awesome, went down the field, scored a touchdown. 
Uh, and then it just sort of disappeared for about two and a half quarters. And then the fourth quarter comes out and then suddenly it's back and it's clicking and we're going again. And then he's got a shot to win the game. And then ultimately Solomon Thomas ruins it. But that, that was sort of the, the up and down of that game. Like if, if, if Trubisky leads them to win that game, I think his legend is much bigger, even though uh, the overall quality of the play in that game was still pretty, pretty mediocre. He threw that one horrible interception, uh, Oh, I thought they were so both the, horrible. <laughs> it, and that's the thing. Like he, it's again, he hasn't played, so these are certain things he has not seen. So if you're saying, "Well, we think we can start him right away," that okay, fine. But you, I think the Steelers, Bengals, and Ravens are going to come up with something a little bit more difficult for him to process than than Duke, NC State, and Stanford. I tend to agree uh, with you. <laughs> to Deshaun Kaiser. He scares the crap out of me. He just he just does. Uh, it, it, on the field, his accuracy is is just woeful at times. You can find you know you can do the whole the best ten throws. His best ten throws are going to be better than anyone else's ten throws. Maybe Mahomes has two of them, but Deshaun Kaiser, when he's right, is the best quarterback in this draft, but he is totally Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in that there are times where he can't hit the broad side of a barn. Couldn't agree more. And the offense just, and, and it just stalls out. And then you get into this whole situation where, you know, he declared after they won four games and he wasn't great this year. And he there's just, and there's word that the guy who's going to start at Notre Dame might be part of the reason he left. Uh, and then the other part of this is he has not helped himself in the least in the draft process, uh, at the combine, you know, in shorts, throwing the, throwing the targets, not far away from him. He's throwing bounce passes, his, his lead foot's all off. He's doing all these things that just don't look good. It just didn't look like he's confident in his mechanics. Um, and then you get into this whole thing where people are worried about, about his personality and, and, you know, you start getting this vibe that I'm not sure Deshaun Kaiser knows what he really wants to be in life. And that's not the end of the world. I believe he's still 20. I mean, that's how it goes. But if I'm an NFL team, that scares me because I want the guy who, you know, wants to, you know, live football. I want the guy who's like Derek Carr, who had figured it out, finished the college process, wants to do that. I believe Patrick Mahomes has that. I believe Deshaun Watson has that. I'm not convinced that Kaiser's that guy um, who wants to be the, you know, Peyton Manning quarterback. It sounds good when he says it, but, you know, it just, he just does not give me a good feeling. And and then the one, the, the caveat with that is obviously the Browns have sent uh, their scout, Lake Dawson, who followed him around all year long. So if there's anything to be found, he must have found it. So it's possible that the Browns are an outlier one way or the other. Maybe they, they really like uh, Kaiser, think everybody's way off the beaten path on what reality is, or they could be the outlier that's like, no, we do not want him at all. So that remains to be seen. And then he gets to Deshaun Watson. I want Sean Wa- Deshaun Watson to be great. I love Deshaun Watson, the kid. I, I wish Deshaun Watson was my kid, was my son. I mean, he's that type of dude. He comes from hor- horrible poverty, like bad type of deal. 
graduates college in three years, absolutely crushes in college. Uh, that the first time he's on the field, then he gets. He's, a, he's a remarkable dude. There's just no way around it. He recuperates the ACL faster than it's supposed to be. And he did it right. It wasn't like it was a bad rush job. And then he gets back out there and he's ready to go. And then, you know, his, you see it on the field, his poise is on the level of Cam Newton. When it gets down to crunch time and he's got to make a, make a play. He just does it. He puts the team on his back and he looks like Superman. Unfortunately, he throws like bizarro Superman, at least according to the radar gun. It's just, 49 miles per hour, it's, it's a problem. And then Does that, Is that what it looks like to you on tape? Uh, no, but when I, I trust Ben Albright on this, and he went back and actually measured it on tape, and he came back 53, 53 and a half. So what I would say is it makes me nervous. Uh, it, I, I wouldn't, probably wouldn't rule him out entirely, although I don't feel good about it. If the Browns brought him in, worked him out, and really, really came back with the mindset that, man, this isn't a problem. He was tired or something. Whatever. Then go for it. Because everything else, he's got what you want. Uh, but if it, it may be a situation let, let where he's on. Let me put it to you like this. What if he's at 56? Where is he in your rankings? If he's at 56, you mean 52? Yeah, okay. Somewhere, let's say he's he's... Just in the middle of the pack, velocity was. What what's the rest oh, of his oh, game? Oh, oh, if he if if he if he cleared the fifty five barrier, he'd been good. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So to me, I'm gonna really struggle with making that the reason I don't take the guy. I I'd, I'd have him in and throw make him throw to my guys a bunch and make sure I was confident that that he couldn't because everything else about that kid tells me number one. He won't be scared of it. Number two, he's going to work as hard as anybody at it. And that's no guarantee of success. But I know he's not going to fail for stupid reasons. And that's a big deal in light of recent history. Um, Before we go, give me your sort of bucket of, let's do it this way. We've got five of the first 65. You can have your way with those five. Who are they? Uh, Miles Garrett, Pat Mahomes. Uh, Chidobi Awuzie, Marcus Williams, and Larry Ogunjabi. Damn, that's a good group. I love it. I love it. And let's say this. Um, coming back next week when we're done, um, what do you think would be the most surprising thing? What, what would surprise you if we come back here a week from now after the draft or two weeks from now, as the case may be, and something either did or did not happen with the Browns? What would surprise you? I think the, I think the thing that would 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 stun me would it would be if after everything they've done and everything they sort of built, and everything they say they want to be, if they went out and drafted a guy like Joe Mixon or they went and drafted some of these, you know, they the guys they interviewed that had obvious character flaws, um, that just go against what they've been doing. That that would stun me just. I understand they've done the, the legwork on these guys. I get it. But I would have been more okay with going this route last year when there was less talent. But this year, there is so much talent that has absolutely stunning, sterling records that you'd want on your team. 
that, that going that route uh, to try to get better faster would, uh, would, would stun me. Fun stuff. That's Pete Smith. He's a contributor at Draft Breakdown and NFL Spin Zone, and he has had article after article there at the Spin Zone in particular uh, covering Browns-related issues. We've had him here with us at the Browns Note Podcast for a good long while now, and we'll do it again uh, following the draft and then once the season sort of comes back around with training camp. Pete, always good to talk to you, man. Good to break this thing down, and uh, I appreciate all the good knowledge. Oh, good stuff, man. I miss you. All right, that was Pete Smith, and before that, Mr. Brendan Leister talking Browns 2017 NFL Draft Preview Fun. Uh, Hope you enjoyed it. We got into some depth. I won't drag on anymore. We'll be back in a week, or perhaps a week and a half, following the draft once we know who's actually on the roster and what decisions were made and what it looks like for the future, and we'll dig into all of that on the next episode of the Browns Note Podcast. Until then, everybody... Enjoy your draft weekend. I will be celebrating up in the Oakland Hills, and I'm actually, at least as we sit here on this Sunday evening, I get to play Half Moon Bay's Old Course on Friday morning, which is overlooking the ocean just south of San Francisco with my buddy Adam Jones. This will be sickness draft party number however many in a row. We're missing Sen Soga at East Coast Dog. Won't be able to make it this year. He is otherwise encumbered. Miss you, dog. See you all next week. Until then, go Browns.